to the Biomass Thermal Energy Council's podcast series. In our monthly podcasts, BTEC interviews key decision makers and pioneers of the biomass energy industry. This project is made possible by a grant from the U.S. Forest Service's Wood Education and Resource Center. In our first broadcast, we will discuss biomass energy in Austria. Austria is a fine example regarding the use of biomass for energy. The share of biomass amounts to 12% of all energy consumption in Austria, and in states like Upper Austria, biomass heating provides more than 40% of all heating needs. In the federal state of Upper Austria, the Upper Austrian Renewable Energy Agency has been responsible for this impressive achievement. Therefore, it is a great honor to welcome Christiane Egger, Deputy Manager of the Upper Austrian Renewable Energy Agency. Ms. Egger is an energy policy expert. She is also the co-author of numerous energy plans and position papers on national and regional policies in the field of energy efficiency and renewable energy. Welcome, Ms. Egger, and thank you for your time. The first renewable energy programs in Austria were started in the 1980s. Ms. Egger, what were the reasons behind the early interest in renewable energy and who supported the initial development? Biomass has always been an important source of energy, traditionally in Austria, but also in an innovative and modern way. In the 80s and even dating back to the 70s, it became clear that fossil fuel energy sources would not be the optimal long-term solution for securing the energy supply in our country. A main driver, though, at that time, of course, was not climate change considerations because the word climate change was not even known at that time. But, in fact, the most important driving force came from the forestry sector and the farming sectors. Farmers and forest owners realized that just from food production alone, uh, economic survival would become more and more difficult. So they looked for new ways to secure their livelihood, and they started becoming heat entrepreneurs. They started uh, providing biomass fuels for heating. So the forestry sector was one of the first and important drivers. Then we had innovative entrepreneurs who were looking for ways to automize biomass heating. So they want to get away from labor-intensive, dirty ways of heating and to find ways to use biomass in a full automatic way so that it could compete from a user convenience and cost perspective with oil and gas. So these innovative entrepreneurs were the second important driving force in that process. And thirdly, especially state policies, for example, in the state of Upper Austria, realized the economic possibilities biomass heating was offering because, of course, fossil fuel energy sources have to be imported and what we don't spend on importing fossil fuels creates added values and jobs here in the state and in the country. So I would say these three groups, the farming and forestry sector, the creative entrepreneurs and state policies together, started rethinking biomass heating policies so the main driver did not come from climate protection, but from economic development and from the forestry sector. 
Austria has made it a policy priority to reduce the reliance on fossil fuels, and that debate is going on in the United States as well. But the American policy debate is heavily centered on renewable electricity legislation. Heating and cooling, which constitutes roughly one-third of the energy consumption in the United States, does not play a significant role in that debate. In your region in Upper Austria, 45% of all heating is renewable, with a lion's share of 95% met by renewable biomass. What has been the driving force behind that remarkable success in addressing renewable heating? Well, one is certainly pure economic considerations. If you look at the costs for investment and for operation, it's very clear that if you look at avoiding costs for importing fossil fuels and you look at the different sectors, how much does it cost to replace fossil fuels in transport, fossil fuels in heating, and fossil fuels in electricity, it becomes quite clear that replacing heating is the cheapest option in terms of investment costs and in terms of operation costs. I would say the, the reason for the focus on electricity is mostly because it's maybe more visible, it's maybe more evident to people what they spend on their electricity bills, and it's also a cultural question. In colder climates, heating would play a more important role than in warmer climates where, of course, electricity for example, for cooling, but also for other applications, is more at the focus of attention. What is also interesting when we look at Europe is to see that mostly in larger countries, like in Germany, in France, in Spain, the focus was from the very beginning more on electricity production from renewables, whereas in smaller countries like Austria or the Nordic countries, they put more focus on renewable heating. What also becomes very clear in the policy debate we lead in the European Union is that absolutely we need both. We need renewable electricity and we need renewable heating. So every member state now has to make their own strategy how to split their renewable energy targets and portfolio standards into the sectors electricity, heating and transport. I think it's very interesting also in the U.S. to make the calculation for replacing one kilowatt hour or one energy unit of electricity with biomass or with another renewable energy source or with replacing one kilowatt hour of heating with biomass. And I'm very sure that the result of this calculation will be very much the same, that the costs for renewable heating are lower but, of course, this is not always reflected in the public support programs. And, of course, these very much drive where the market goes in the substitution process. So it is worth a while to have a look at the absolute costs and then to see how public programs change the economics of this substitution process and to discuss also in policies whether it would not be worthwhile to also support renewable heating and not only electricity. You mentioned the public support programs, and one of your favorite taglines to describe them is the stick, carrot, and tambourine approach, which refers to legal measures, financial measures, and informational activities. Please elaborate on this three-pillar approach and what makes it so successful. This stick, carrot, and tambourine approach takes the picture of a donkey, and the donkey 
by itself may not be very interested in moving along, in changing. So you apply the stick, so that's legal and regulatory measures. You apply the carrot, that's financial incentives, and you apply the tambourine, information, training, awareness raising. And with all these three different instruments together, the donkey or the change on the market will happen a lot faster as if you only apply one of those. It's quite easy also if you think practically, and we all have seen examples like that. You have a wonderful funding program, but not enough people know about it. So it will be a lot less effective as if people understood that it exists and how it works. You have a very useful regulatory measure, but again, people don't know about it, they don't understand it, so it also is less effective. And of course, you can do the best information and awareness raising measures, but without any financial measures, progress will be a lot slower. So in fact, by applying two or three of the pillars at the same time, so to stimulate demand for renewable heating and at the same time also support supply, that is what makes the market change a lot faster because we don't have too much time. We are already lagging behind in many respects in changing away from fossil fuels for heating. So a good way to speed up market transformation is by using this three-pillar approach. In your presentations, you have been talking about the end of the oil era in Austria. In the last decade, the share of oil heating appliances has fallen from 36% to less than 1% of all new installed appliances in Austria, whereas renewable energy technologies make up more than 85% of new heating appliances. How has that been possible And have you experienced resistance to this structural change? Of course, no change is without resistance. That is very clear. But what also becomes very clear, if you have a policy framework in place where you take a step-by-step approach, you have financial incentive for the more innovative, for the more advanced measures, You have regulatory measures to set minimum requirements, and you have information and awareness raising measures to explain why this is a good thing. We found that if a homeowner understands that a biomass heating system is a better solution for him in the short and long term, most of them will be prepared to change over to biomass. It's only if people don't understand or they don't have uh, the right information at hand when they are taking a decision. It's not very useful and interesting to give someone information about biomass heating one year after he has bought a new gas boiler. So the information has to come at the time when an investment decision is being taken anyway, and it has to be explained well what are the benefits, what are the drawbacks, and then we find that a large majority of people are willing to take the right decision, the one for renewable heating. In 2030, Upper Austria is targeting to provide 100% of space heating from renewable energy. The Northeast and Northwest in the United States have a fairly similar heating pattern and availability of biomass resources. What would you advise your U.S. colleagues in state governments on the best approach to increase the share of renewable heating in their state? 
I think the first thing is to understand the current situation, the resources, the, the present heating pattern, and then set a target. We find that it's very important over the last 20 years to have a target, a business plan, if you want. Every company should have a business plan, so should every state government to have a business plan for renewable heating that says we want to be at the percentage of X by the year of Y. So to first to have a target and at the same time to develop measures, instruments, how to achieve that target. One important sector always public buildings, not an easy sector because uh, money is short in public institutions around the globe. But nevertheless, I think leading by example is very important in that field. So it's important to look at the own state buildings, to look where are buildings where we really consume a lot of heat, where are buildings where we need to replace the heating system anyway in the next years. Does our state government, for example, also have own forestry resources? And then to see, can we do some pilot projects? Can we have a learning process in state government, how to use biomass heating, and then to move on from there. So first is leading by example for the, setting a target, leading by example in the public sector, then to see whether powerful coalitions with important actors in the state can be found. For example, in our country, the whole farming and forestry sector has been a very important ally in all the discussions because by using more biomass for heating, by having a better prices and stabler markets for forestry residues, we also support in an important way the local farming and forest owners community, so they can be a very important ally in this process. And then to look what are possibilities to financially support renewable heating in the private and in the commercial sector. That depends, of course, on the specific situation. And also, do we have in our portfolio the possibility to implement regulatory measures? So, for example, in, in Upper Austria, in our state, there is a law, it's an obligation that any new building larger than 10,000 square feet when it's new constructed, has to be heated by renewable energy sources. Clearly, you need to have well-developed supply chains and structures to implement such a regulation, but nevertheless, there comes a time uh, in the market development where this also can be considered. So look at the possibility you have in stick carrot and tambourine policies, fix a target, and then try to get there with the instruments that are possible in your state. Now, supporters of biomass energy have to address fears that some environmentalists in the United States have, for example, that an increase in bioenergy production will lead to clearing of entire forests to meet the demand. With the continuing growth of bioenergy in Austria, how do you address sustainability issues to meet increasing demand over the long run? Austria has a more than 100-year tradition in sustainable forestry. So, in fact, the word in German for sustainability comes from the forestry sector. The word we use in German, Nachhaltigkeit, means you use the forest in a way that your children and grandchildren can make the same use of these forests. 
So for us, this is built on a long tradition, and we never, it's legally forbidden, but it's also against the tradition and the culture to overuse our forests. Most of the forests are owned by private families, so for them it's quite evident they don't cut the whole forest and then leave nothing for their children. This is not the way this is done traditionally. Of course, it's also important that a respective legal framework for sustainable forestry is in place to ensure that the rules and the laws are made in a way that sustainable forestry is maintained while at the same time using biomass for heating. The good news is most of our biomass we use for energy is the residues from forestry. If you cut a tree, about half of the tree can, go, can be used for timber. 10 to 20% needs to remain in the forest as fertilizer, but that means about 20 to 30% can be used for energy purposes. That is just a side product of normal sustainable forestry. We are not at all advocating, and this is not how it is done in Austria and in other EU countries, to use the whole tree for energy. We use the valuable part of the tree for timber, for construction, for anything else you need timber for, and only the residues for which there is no market that is used for energy purposes. We have made a very detailed scientific analysis together with several universities when we set our target for 100% renewable heating for 2030. And it's quite clear that we can reach this target with our own forest residues, provided that the energy efficiency of the buildings can also be increased at the same time. Because, of course, the better the energy efficiency of the building, the less demand you have for biomass heating. Another aspect of biomass energy is voiced by opponents who fear that an increase in the use of biomass will have negative effects on human health, especially particulate matter and other emissions could negatively impact the lung system and create problems for the elderly and children. What is your experience in this regard and how do you address this problem? In Austria, we have very, very strict emission standards for any biomass or for any heating systems. We have done something you can call driving the market through standards. So every year we have set standards for the efficiency of the appliance and for the emissions, and these standards have been tightened every few years over the last one and a half decades. So today, biomass heating systems are very high efficiency and ultra-low emissions. So we are in a position to say that modern biomass boilers will have no negative impact at all on human health, and they can compete in terms of emissions with gas and modern oil boilers. What is, of course, important is not to use old technologies, technologies that is not efficient, that has high emissions, because definitely this is a way to ruin a biomass heating market because it's not good for your health and it's also not good for the sustainability of a market development. So to have tight 
emission and efficiency standards for a biomass heating system is a core element of any renewable heating policy for a country or a state to ensure that biomass heating is healthy and not only good for the environment, but also good for the health of the users. Thank you. Now, my last question deals with the cost aspect of biomass projects. In the United States, heating with biomass is often perceived as being too expensive to be competitive with natural gas or heating oil. How have you been able to overcome that perception? I think it's important when you look at the heating system to look at the life cycle costs. So to look what are the costs over the lifetime of these appliances, uh, and these costs consist, of course, on the one hand of the investment costs for the appliance and the fuel costs. And when comparing different heating systems, it is important to compare life cycle costs of different installations of an oil heating system, for example, and an automatic pellet heating system. We find that, and the oil prices in Europe are still lower than they are in the U.S. at the moment, that over the lifetime of a heating system, a pellet heating system can easily compete with an oil heating system because the investment costs are about a third higher, but the fuel costs over the lifetime are 50% lower than for heating oil. And we are still at the moment not at the peak of oil prices, but in a medium level. So it's important to compare life cycle costs and to compare investments and fuel costs. So that is one element. The second element about the tambourine is that people do understand that it makes a difference for the society, for their country, whether they use fossil fuels which are important from faraway countries where there is no profit to anyone in the country except a tiny little bit for importing and distributing fossil fuels or whether they are using a local fuel, which is not only better in terms of transport, but which is also a lot more secure. So energy independence is a very important argument for consumers because they understand that importing fossil fuels may not always be secure in the future, but having local biomass gives them the assurance that the fuel will also be available in the next 10 and 20 years. Thank you, Christiana. Further information on Christiana Egger and the Austrian biomass strategy can be found at www.oec.at en and more resources, including interviews and archived webinars, are available on the BTEC website at www.biomassthermal.org. Thank you so much for listening. <laughs>